Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Best baseball game in the history of this and any other planet. And people in Houston have lost more sleep than they did during hurricanes and other disasters. We'll talk about that and other things global and insomniac like Dan Calaruso, our global digital editor. Hi. And global insomniac, I can tell you. Although I did not stay up for the most epic game in Major League Baseball World Series history. Uh, I went to bed thinking, eh, I'll catch the next game. Well, uh, fine. (laughs) Good. Well, there was going to be a next game. We knew that. But there was never any next great game. Now, I was at Kane's perfect game. I was at Bond's home run with the asterisk. I was at the Marlins Game 7 sweep their first championship. And the bottom line of all of that is this was clearly the best game I've ever been to in my, you know, more than half century on this earth. Uh, Sitting with Dodgers ownership certainly didn't help or hurt, but there was such magnetism and electricity and excitement in that Minute Maid Park. You can't even begin to describe it. Good for baseball? No. Great for baseball. Great for baseball. The, The NFL, and the NFL has had some good Super Bowls in the past few years, but for the World Series, the last, what, three years? Um... To, to have to have such great storylines uh, has been like the biggest boon to baseball uh, since steroids. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> uh, and, in, and in one sense, right? I mean, it really is. It, the games are compelling, uh, and they've taken on a lot of the tonality of like the NHL playoffs, where when you have the best teams, the level of play rises, and you just can't turn away from it. Well, and the bottom line of all of this too is, is you know, you can't catch a break. I just kind of ignore it. Now we're talking about. Are the balls juiced? I don't really care how many home runs there are. If they're juiced, they're juiced for everybody. And so the other thing is, five hours and 17 minutes, do you want to cut the game? No, because that was the most amazing five hours and 17 minutes I can ever remember. Right, but you don't, you don't want to cut a five-hour, five-hour, 17-minute game when there's scoring like that. You do want to cut it when the Yankees are taking six pitches every at-bat and the Boston pitcher is circling the mound uh, counterclockwise between every every three pitches. That's the Those are the games you want. That's sure. fair, but that is not this. And the bottom line no. of all of that is you have $8.5 billion coming in from television revenue uh, every year independent of that uh, advanced media, new media streaming that uh, drives the average franchise value of a baseball team up to a billion and a half. Bottom line is they've grown at a 20% annual growth rate, franchise values, and it couldn't be better. Great. And, and it couldn't have come at a better time, right? I mean, it's the World Series, casual fans watching, real fans watching, major markets, sob stories from Houston, just a great thing. And, and timing of this great World Series has been perfect for baseball. Timing not so friendly, however, to Steph Curry and Kevin Plank. Uh, Plank, the CEO of Under Armour, has seen his company get decimated this week. Uh, they missed earnings. Uh, they, the stock is down 56 or 57% year-to-date. Uh, what used to be the bad boy brand of sports apparel is now feels like it also ran. They bet a lot on Steph Curry's shoe. 
they had $200 million in sales in that in 2015. That number has been falling ever since. And they missed the date. They missed the launch date uh, for the new one. And they missed the beginning of basketball season. Uh, one Wall Street analyst says he thinks the Curry 4 is going to become an afterthought. Rick, what's your take on Under Armour? So much momentum, so such a short time ago. Uh, feels a little different now, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, and frankly, it's not only the superstars because they've signed some. I mean, they signed Andy Murray on the tennis side. You can't get Jordan any bigger Spieth, than that. Right? Remember, they signed, uh, they signed uh, uh, Jordan, Jordan Spieth, Spieth from the golf yeah. side. Uh, they've even signed the top ballerina from the ballerina side, if that mattered. Mm. And, 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 you know, the, the bottom line of this is the, the real concern was the new kid on the block has morphed into a company that's, that's burdened with apparently distributional problems and yeah. online problems. And, you know, it's like any other retail company. You can make a splash, but you've got to sustain that splash over time. Their growth plateaued, and plateauing in the retail business actually means decreasing. Yeah, it really does. And it, growth is the toughest thing to manage. I mean, we don't, I don't know. I've been a business reporter for the better part of 30 years, and you, you see the, the comets of retail come streaking through the sky and then come crashing down to earth into some kind of bankruptcy. Uh, it's almost you could set your watch by it. So it, I'm not predicting that by any stretch for Under Armour, but um, they have to find the mojo again. They need, they need something. They need an operational tightening. Um, it's not going to the reputation and the image and the cool isn't going to get them, I think, to the next level. And especially with Adidas putting on such a big push around the World Cup coming up. I'm sure Adidas is going to get some juice out of that. Uh, it, it's it's not going to be an easy 2018 for Kevin Plank. It's going to be a lot of hard work. No, and, and for the first time, I crossed off the bucket list to go to Comcast, or I guess it's called Capital One Field, now on, on, on Saturday. Before the World Series, I went to uh, a game in uh, at Mer University of Maryland, the uh, uh, Indiana Maryland Barnburner Big Ten. It didn't look like Big Ten football, but those were the ugliest uniforms in the history of the world. They looked like some <laughs> bumblebees that were just had some pesticides sprayed on them. If anybody saw that game, you know what I meant. So the fact is that he made a splash, Kevin Plank, with those amazing uniform issues and fights with Phil Knight. You know, uh, uh, Nike would do one for Oregon. Uh, Kevin Plank would do two for Maryland. But it takes more than that, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. And managing the company is, is going to be tough now. And, and again, Under Armour is a good product. They have some good names. We'll, we'll see where, where it can go from there. Um, and, and, you know, one thing Kevin Plank can take some solace in, he's not Roger Goodell. Uh, very well put. Every week now we hear about, is he going to stay as commissioner? Uh, Papa John Shatner uh, talks about this should have been ripped, uh, nipped in the bud a year and a half ago as far as all of this. And, of course, they're a big NFL sponsor, and Peyton Manning's an equity partner in it, and it's a big deal. But more important than all of that, the idea of the NFL doing good, great examples all over the country, is completely emasculated by are you going to kneel or stand uh, for the national anthem? And the social protest issue has basically carried the day labor management we thought would get together, and now there are some issues. What's your take? Well, I, I think the take is, you know, I remember uh, 10 years ago when cable news was in its heyday, somebody told me once, cable is conflict. Um, and now I, I look at it, I look at the NFL, and conflict has become king. I mean, it, 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 it subsumes the games. Um, and the, and the, to be fair, the owners and the players have not done themselves any favors. Um, you know, there may be a right and wrong here. I'm not here to say right and wrong, but there is a, an awareness gap, a generation gap, uh, a racial and ethnic gap. And because everybody's made so much money, those problems have been kind of glossed over. 
Um, now, um, despite all the money still being on the table, um, the issues are coming to the fore, and they really, uh, you know, you and I started talking about this last football season on a different issue, um, but the NFL has some serious work to do in the next, you know, three months. On the road to the Super Bowl, they got to get something back. They have to do something that seems like it's aware and woke and and keyed in to how the public is feeling. Um, and that's both sides of the public. They have to get their fan base back. And uh, it's t- I don't think it's going to be easy, quite frankly. No, and, you know, I was shocked because, remember, we did a special after Trump did his tweeting that we thought would bring owners and players together. We did. And, and we did. And we, we did a great deal. And everybody kind of thought about thinking about these issues. And then I was out around the country talking about the things we talked about on our podcast. And I was amazed at the number of people who are burning their tickets, canceling their DirecTV subscriptions, saying, I ain't doing it anymore. And I know it's all anecdotal, but yet the vitriol is out there. Yeah, you were very positive. And yeah. you know, I remember that night, you were very positive. I was uh, slightly less so, but I'm slightly less so by nature, I think. And you know the owners, and you talk to them, and you kibitz with them. Uh, I didn't think that it would get worse. I thought it would get addressed quickly in some kind of fundamental way. Um, and, and that is, is a, a problem. Now, Papa John's, um, again, as an Italian, I could tell you I've never ingested a, a molecule of Papa John's pizza or any chain pizza. Um, but <laughs> uh, irrelevant, but but but, uh, but no, but okay. sl- slightly relevant because the rest of America isn't so uh, tradition bound. <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, and they, I, I bet they eat a lot of Papa John's. Yeah. And the idea that um, big sponsors are starting to take this tack as opposed to the tack that we thought sponsors would take in the immediate aftermath of the first anthem protest uh, is also a dangerous thing for Goodell. That, and he has Jerry Jones' knives out for him, apparently. Yeah, well, and by the way, very well put. And the bottom line is when sponsors start thinking about this and as television starts thinking about it, the NFL does take notice. But it doesn't require a sea change, which is my comment. The owners are not exactly counter-philanthropic. The Niners are doing a major joint venture with the police unions all across the Northwest, Microsoft has a deal with Martellus Bennett and Greg Olson and Russell Wilson and all the Stars for Charity campaign. You know, uh, Chris Long gives back his salary. So these are incidents, isolated, some of them, but it's not that difficult to get to the point where owners can talk about their philanthropy. We did a first segment on Mercedes-Benz Stadium two weeks ago, remember, with Arthur Blank's Falcons. And Frank Fernandez, who is the Blank Family Foundation head, he was a financial analyst, but then he went to Harvard with a degree in philosophy, and he realized doing good is doing great. The Family Foundation, Arthur Blank, $300 million to nonprofit organizations, $200 million in Atlanta alone. So for a half a billion dollar giveaway, Arthur Blank certainly deserves a seat at the table, and Frank Fernandez is the guy that implements that. Here he is now. Power of sports is really important, obviously, and Arthur Blank has been in the cutting edge of philanthropy, but you also need somebody to implement it. So Senior Vice President for Community Development, uh, the Falcons and the Arthur Blank Foundation, Frank Fernandez, how are you? Good. Good morning. Good to see you. Good morning. Thank you very much. Does it help to implement your job where you have a guy who is as philanthropic as Arthur Blank is? Yeah, that makes all the difference in terms of being able to do this do this work well. Arthur's commitment, you know, he said from the get-go, you know, this is going to be the most 
finest sports stadium in the world, but if we don't get the community right, the project's a failure, which really speaks to his commitment, his ambition, uh, his passion for community and giving back. Tell us about Westside Works. So Westside Works is where we started in terms of our Westside initiative connected to the stadium. He said, I will hire folks to help to help build the stadium and operate it. And that's where the community was. They said, we want access to jobs that allow us to take care of ourselves and our families. And so that's where we started. So Westside Works helps folks get jobs. Once they have them, keep them. And then over time, help them get better jobs. And, in, and over the last three years, we've been able to place almost 500 Westside residents in living wage jobs in construction, IT, healthcare, culinary arts. And now we are placing over 150 residents in jobs here at the stadium now it is up and running. Is the core of that program to have a, a group of residents receive diverse training and placement or is it to expand beyond a specific geographical area? What's the deal? So we're hyper-focused on yeah. the west side because these are some of the most disinvested and marginalized and forgotten neighborhoods and, and that's part of the commitment is how do we make sure that what's happening on the west side mirrors what we're seeing here at the state in terms of being able to all rise together. Um, what, what came first, the west side uh, project or that west net connection inside this building? So what came first was the West Side project in terms of trying to revitalize the community. And then part of it is how do we leverage the stadium as a catalyst for positive change and thinking of multiple ways to do that. West Nest is a great way of how we live our values. And West Nest basically is staffed and operated by West Side Works trainees and graduates. And a portion of the proceeds go back into the culinary training program to get back to the West Side continually from the stadium. We've seen published numbers, uh, Arthur Blank and the Family Foundation specifically, 300 million for ph philanthropic giving, 200 million for Atlanta itself. Uh, I'll bet you it's even higher than that because people understate. Um, what are the criteria um, and how do you measure success? So the criteria for the foundation as a whole yeah. is really, how, for us at a high level, is how do we give back to try to make a positive difference in the lives of folks here in Atlanta and across the country connected to Arthur's businesses. So for us, we have three big giving areas. We give back in education, green space and parks and arts. And then we have an area called that's really tied to all of Arthur's businesses, including the stadium, the Falcons, United, and so on. And at the core of it is how do we work with community, how do we work with nonprofits to really move the needle on key issues around equity, around inequality, around creating a better world for everyone, you know, at a very high level for everyone who needs it. And, and a lot of people, um, let me find a right way to phrase this, everybody wants that. Few people know how to achieve it. Somebody like Arthur with his intelligence and his resources, and now this platform, what does this platform of sports ownership and this facility do to enhance that goal? Really, what I think, what we're trying to do here with Mercedes-Benz Stadium, this project on the west side, is really change the, the sports stadium dynamic in right. terms of really a credible, long-term, inclusive commitment to change. This stadium is a catalyst for uplifting the neighborhoods around here and really being intentional about that in terms of not just West Ness, but also in terms of hiring here at the stadium, in terms of leveraging this stadium as a community asset in addition to a private asset in terms of not only being open for games like today, but also 100 to 200 community activation events a year on this campus where we host youth soccer, youth sports, farmers markets, festivals for the YMCA, all those kinds of things. So this is not really a stadium uh, as much as it's a community event center. Yeah, it's it's a it's a platform to bring goodness to the city of Atlanta. Broadly, kind of last big one, how define the power of sports in your perspective? What is it about sports that that makes it 
especially important as an agent for social change? I think the power of sports really lies in, especially in today's uh, day and age, it's in being a unifier for everyone in, th in this country in terms of whether it's race, class, orientation. Everyone loves sports, and everyone can rally around their teams, rally around something that we all can get behind, which is a rare thing in t uh, today. And I think that's in how you leverage that, bringing folks together for good is really the, the key thing. He is a smart one, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank Appreciate you. It. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. The producer, Alex Cohn. Associate producers, Freddie Joyner and Ryan Warner. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, and Ronnie Sokatch, and the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Rick Haro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.